Welcome to the Emergency Management Podcast, a show about planning for, responding to, and recovering from emergencies. I'm Stuart Walker, and this is the place where we talk to emergency management professionals and learn from them so that we can make a positive impact on the safety of our community. How well does your organisation use data to manage emergencies? Does your organisation even have a digital strategy? In this episode, we talk to the Senior Director of Business Infrastructure for the American Red Cross, Brian Keenum, who recently provided the keynote address at the Australian Esri User Conference. During our conversation, Brian shares his organisation's experience using world-class technology to enable more accurate, safe and effective decision-making in the face of a crisis. Brian Keenum, welcome to the Emergency Management Podcast. Thanks for having me. Now tell me, what brings you to Australia? I'm here to share uh, the American Red Cross's message about data collaboration and um, a common operating picture and and kind of a a transformation from kind of manual processes to um, consolidated data sharing and and technological advancement uh, from a data collection and visualization and analysis standpoint. And we're going to unpack that a little bit today, but tell me... What makes you passionate about working for the American Red Cross? Oh, gosh. Uh, there's a lot of different ways. Uh, the, the mission of the Red Cross is um, extremely passion-invoking. Uh, we, we help people when they need help. Uh, we help them on their darkest days. And it doesn't take a lot for us to get motivated uh, every day to do that. I think um, our volunteers are extremely um, inspiring as well. Uh, so when I when I'm a little bit more removed from the mission, I still am close to volunteers, and that certainly keeps us going. And do you have a background in volunteerism yourself? I do. I uh, started out in volunteer ambulance service uh, when I was 16, right. and uh, became a paid person in ambulance service. I moved to uh, dispatch, so I went triple zero here, a 911 uh, dispatcher there. Uh, moved into law enforcement and then into disaster management. Uh, so a long and broken road to IT, which is what I uh, focus on now from a business standpoint. So you really have seen all sides of the story. Yeah, I really have, yeah. Which probably puts you in a unique position then to, to focus on providing solutions for frontline people. Yeah, it does. I was, I was talking about that actually earlier today. Uh, the business side of this really has to drive that well uh, for it to, to, to have the success it needs to have. Uh, you've got to have somebody that knows the business and, and having different angles in that business is really helpful, definitely. Now, Brian, the, the American Red Cross or the Red Cross in general is a household name, internationally recognised, but yeah. can you tell me what type of emergencies do you respond to and what are the services you provide? Sure. Uh, first and foremost, uh, every day we respond to all the home fires uh, in the United States. We have 60,000 of those a year. Uh, so we do a lot of response around that. That scales all the way up to large disaster responses, hurricanes, tornadoes, uh, flooding, uh, wildfires, um, you know, all of those larger operations that we all hear about in the news. Uh, but every day we're working in our communities on preparedness activities also. Uh, in the United States, we aren't uh, compelled to have smoke alarms, so it's not regulated uh, that way. Uh, so we also install smoke alarms and help our families with uh, escape plans for their house as well. So uh, we really try to wrap all the way around from uh, preparedness, response, and recovery um, every day. And in recent years, the American Red Cross has completed a, a digital transformation strategy. What I'm really interested about 
is what was the business strategy behind the digital transformation strategy? What was it that you did to make it a reality? Because I'm sure there's lots of organisations who would like to pursue a digital strategy, but they, they possibly can't get the whole business working towards that goal? Yeah, that's a really great question. Uh, the, the strategy doesn't happen without a commitment, right? Uh, ultimately, in our response efforts, we saw that we were doing well. Uh, we were evolving as the information became clearer, uh, which always gets better the longer you're in the middle of the response, right? Um, initially, uh, our, our operations, our resource management, our deployment of individuals and material resources to the area we're only good as, as good as our processes, right? And we have the benefit of having a lot of different folks in, in our organization that come from, from different walks of life. Some of us are nonprofit people from day one. Uh, some of us come from law enforcement. Some of us come from military. Um, and some of us have come from our federal emergency management partners. And ultimately, that gives us kind of an amalgamation of ideas and best practices that come from those areas as well. And some of our leadership uh, that came from our federal partners uh, really had the thought, you know, this is, this is great. We can do better than this. We can uh, become more data-driven, understand our problem better and more quickly and more accurately, um, and therefore save resources and ultimately help uh, the clients get services quicker. And that's, that's where the impetus came. In our, in our particular situation, we were lucky enough to have senior executive level type of motivation up front mm -hmm. um, that has evolved over time to even further levels in the organization but but to have that kind of buy-in uh, really makes things a lot easier for us and has made things a, a lot quicker to adoption than they probably would have been otherwise uh, we still have had to do kind of proofs of concept um, once we've had products that work uh, we're able to to push those up uh, past the levels that we started and, and get more buy-in. Uh, so we potentially can use that across the organization, other business lines, but that's the initial impetus was, was really around that, that tactical efficiency um, and our KPIs and ability to make decisions based on data. And I read a report that looked back on 10 years or where the Red Cross has been in the last 10 years under the current leadership. And one thing that was written in that document was that the IT systems that Red Cross had 10 years ago weren't extremely robust. Right. So to have achieved what you've achieved in, in what would appear to be a relatively short amount of time is, is, is quite amazing. It is. It's been a, a large effort. Um, we've had lots of help uh, from our partners. Uh, the ability to have data from other partners has been extremely important in that effort. Um, but understanding that we needed to make a change Starting that conversation and doing it in a holistic way was really the reason we were able to make such a holistic change. And we still have legacy systems. We still have uh, data that we need to get from those legacy systems that, that pose a, a difficulty for us. Uh, but we're tackling those one at a time. Um, and the best part about having that strategy is that when we have systems of record that we need to replace, we already have an eye towards what we need. We know that that spatial component is going to be critical to us. We can make requirements based on that. Um, and really have it integrate well into the system that we already have. L legacy data is always a challenge, it seems, for people moving to new systems. So, so what have you learned in that process? Patience. <laughs> I mean, right? Um, ultimately, you have to take the time to do it right. Mm -hmm. um, and, and really, that's not only around data mapping and understanding the data dictionary of that legacy system, but what 
what transformation needs to occur between that legacy system and our new system to make it the best usable data that we have. Um, it takes time and effort. Once it's done, it's done. Um, and the more you do that, the better at it you get. Uh, so that's ultimately the, the lesson there. Can you unpack for me what is data-driven decision-making? Yeah, sure. Uh, data-driven decision-making is really, number one, collecting the right data. So what do we need to make decisions? Um, taking that data and placing it into uh, an analysis or a visualization or a, a KPI uh, that allows us to understand and ask the question, what's happening here? Um, it's not necessarily, in some cases, it's blatantly obvious what's happening. In some other cases, through a programmatic approach, you look at a piece of data and say, well, that's a little different than what I'm expecting. I wonder why that is. Um, just having data that allows you to ask that question um, is a huge leap forward and allows us to go back and manage the program better uh, because we're able to say, you know, well, that's why that happened here. We need to tweak this knob or change this process here or there so that it comes back in line with what we're looking for. So, so you've moved really now towards data-driven decision-making. How does this align to the American Red Cross's vision? Um, well, it, it does align very well. It aligns very well because ultimately uh, we have uh, an amazing network of donors uh, that help support our efforts every day. We don't get government funding. Uh, we do have a government charter. Uh, we have the responsibility, and, and our responsibility lies on the, the, the help of our donors. And the better we can utilize that donor dollar, um, the more services we can provide, uh, and the better case we can make for further support. Um, and ultimately, that's, that's what we're there for, is to help the clients and, and do the best job we can with the donor dollars that we get. And that's, that's what we're doing. So, so gathering data in emergencies is possibly a, a bit of an iterative process. Absolutely. Things are always changing. How, how do you build a system that allows for, for all these different components that can come into the system? Yeah, I think, so there's a couple of pieces to that. One is we've been doing this a long time. Uh, so we do have a certain level of knowledge about what data we use and what data we collect. So the first point was, you know, what have we reliably collected over the years? And how can we use that? Um, that gives us an opportunity to compare apples to apples with our legacy systems that um, we can go back and take a look at what's happened over time and learn a little bit more. And ultimately, there is a discovery process that happens too. It's not just about the data that we collected is what we are always going to need. Mm -hmm. um, it's how do we improve that set of data and, and what are the changing and evolving business needs that we have that are going to require us to deliver a different kind of data to our system that allows us to take it in a different direction. You think about machine learning uh, and artificial intelligence and kind of predictive analysis, uh, which is where we want to head. Um, you really, it opens your mind uh, mm. about what all of the places you really can collect data are. And that's just an iterative process, just an evolution. In 2016, the Red Cross launched the Red Cross Visual Interactive Event Wizard, also known as RC View, using geospatial and digital technology to enable the organization to make the data-driven decisions. Can you explain what RC View is? Sure. Uh, RC View is the collaborative space where we do everything. Um, more and more, we do everything. Uh, the idea initially was for us to provide a platform um, in which all of our programs can operate. Uh, we knew that that was going to be a phased approach. We knew that that was going to take time. And we knew we couldn't uh, do the whole thing at once, right? So we prioritized that, uh, started with 
mapping capabilities, which is you know just the basic GIS functionality of taking data and putting it on a map and visualizing that data. That was our first step. Um, continuing on to develop our workforce uh, and also the capabilities of that workforce to create kind of new and innovative ways to layer data. So, so can I just stop you there? Sure you can. So when you, when you say do everything, yeah. RC View is able to, to manage the processes of the business, shall we say, but also manage your, your prevention, preparedness, response and recovery phases? Ultimately, that's the, that's the vision, is that we do response, recovery and preparedness all in one place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and ultimately, if you think about it, it's a relatively logical thought process because you use data um, from response and, and also recovery efforts to target preparedness activities. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, we're, if we know that there are 10 fires in a neighborhood, um, and there's none in the neighborhood next to it, uh, it's pretty pretty blatantly clear where we're going to target our activities around smoke alarms. Uh, that, that neighborhood that's more vulnerable has shown the history of that activity. It's certainly the first place to go. So there is really a dependency all the way around the cycle for us mm-hmm. uh, around data and our ability to manage those three, three pieces of the program. And it's interesting... It- Really, at that that prevention stage, it's often the hardest thing to to quantify when you are trying to put a budget together to manage prevention activities. Being able to put that data in the hands of those people who are managing the budget is really important. It is. There is a little bit of faith there. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a little bit of belief that that's the right thing to do, um, and that ultimately is is a good thing. Uh, ultimately, that's that's enough of an an impetus for us most of the time. But you do start to see some changes over time uh, with regard to home fires uh, and, and, and deaths, especially around home fires. Uh, we do operate in that space where we're working with some national partners around that data collection. Uh, and our hope is that our efforts to install um, smoke alarms, we're a large organization, we have a large footprint, and we have an amazing partnership with our local fire services that with enough smoke alarms, we can really move the needle uh, when it comes to fire uh, related fatalities and that's that's why we're out there Uh, it also gives us an opportunity to interact with the public on a regular basis along with our home fire responses and our volunteers Um, volunteers in our disaster program extremely well engaged and they want to work they want to do things so this gives us another opportunity to keep them engaged as well so at the end of the day, what, what problems has RC View solved for you? Well, it's made our service delivery more efficient. Mm-hmm. It's made it more cost effective. Um, we've gotten better outcomes for clients. Uh, they're spending less time in shelters um, per event. We know that that's going to increase and get better uh, as we integrate our new national sheltering system, our operational sheltering system, and electronic shelter registration. We'll be able to tell more of what the individual needs are and, and direct resources in that way. Uh, so ultimately, it's providing us more data to understand the circumstances and, and provide better services. That's that's the problem. And in terms of the shelters you have open, one, one thing I've seen with RC View is that you can get a, a national snapshot that's right. of what is happening at, at, any time, at any time of the day, how many shelters are open and the capacity of each shelter, where people are moving to, how quickly they're being process, processed. Yeah. Yeah, and it also gives us the opportunity from a regional standpoint. We have uh, 59 regions that can also zoom into their specific jurisdiction area and see the exact same thing. So it's not just a national picture. It allows us to focus in on whatever area of responsibility you have and get the same data. It's a scalable solution in that way.
So RC View allows you to integrate data from different sources. For example, you can integrate information about flood prone areas and socioeconomic advantage and disadvantage. How do you use this information? Well, two different ways. Uh, one, it gives us a really good uh, initial look at where our services might be most needed. Uh, when we have a flood event, hurricane, whatever natural disasters occurring. Um, the other part of that really, well, there's two more. One around recovery. Um, it gives us a, an idea of where we need to do outreach. Um, if we have not had folks come forward to the shelters, a lot of people shelter in place. They go live with relatives for a period of time. Um, it gives us that opportunity to understand where they are for recovery efforts and preparedness as well. Uh, even before an emergency or disaster happens, we know where to go knock on doors, install smoke alarms, uh, give them flood awareness or hurricane kind of preparedness uh, materials, uh, and deliver those in a way that's most effective. And then are you able then to gather the data of the places you have visited in terms of prevention? Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, that's an integral part of our, our home fire campaign, which is uh, the smoke alarm uh, installation piece. And everyone benefits from interagency collaboration. So how has RCVU supported interagency collaboration? Yeah, first by receiving. Um, we have an enormous amount of public data available in the United States from government partners around weather, uh, around flood gauges, around um, storm surge. Um, it really is pretty mind-blowing. And it's, it's difficult to know until you really dig in. So we... We first realized what we had when we started kind of looking at what we were going to map and how we needed to, to see what was coming, what the threats were on the way. Um, the amount of public data is amazing. So the first piece of that is, is receiving. Uh, once we were able to create kind of an operational picture based on what we received and what we started to collect around damage assessment, the movement of our volunteers, our emergency response vehicles, um, we're able to then have conversations with our partners say, look what, look what we're doing here. Um, this is going to be valuable to you. We would like to provide this to you. Uh, so something we've undertaken recently is this partner brief that we provide during disasters um, for our operational partners, and it's giving back to them. Um, and in some cases, folks that don't necessarily contribute, uh, but it's a way to expose them to the technology. Um, and I hope they come to the table so we can start to share data back and forth in specific ways between agencies. We also do have some data agreements with federal partners uh, to provide data back and forth that's operational. Uh, all of this stuff helps us not duplicate efforts. Uh, we know where we're operating, they know where we're operating, uh, which is a step forward for us uh, in that process as well. You mentioned you're gathering data very much on a macro level, I guess, from all the different other different agencies. I also understand that RCView will allow you to put the data collection in the hands of individuals via apps. It does, yeah. What are some of the things that you can achieve by sure. doing that? Well, the, the possibilities are limitless. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, ultimately, the main impetus for that is our disaster damage assessment. Um, we're not doing that just with damage assessment workers. Everybody that deploys gets the app. Mm. Um, so if they're out feeding, uh, if they're out working in a shelter, if they are out doing outreach for mental health services or health services, and they pass a home that is damaged, they can pull the app out and submit a survey that tells us that that house is damaged. Um, it's it's extremely helpful. Uh, we, we deploy a lot of people to do damage assessment. but 
making everybody what we would call a sensor mm. um, has really exponentially grown that data set. And we can much more quickly understand what the data picture looks like for damage assessment. And, and I think on these large scale emer- of emergencies that do overwhelm agencies, putting that data collection in the hands of an individual is going to really change the the quality and the timeliness of the data that's collected. It does, and we see that across the industry, not only in what we're collecting. If you think about um, apps like Waze, like Waze Alerts, traffic alerts, that's all crowdsourced data. Um, that's the best way to get it. Uh, it may not be 100% all the time completely accurate, but good gosh, 95% is better than what we had. Um, and it's worth that. It's worth that effort to understand it. That is an excellent way of looking at it. And I think when you explain it like that, that's something that most people can understand. Sure. What do you think is the future for GIS and emergency management? Uh, it's exciting. Uh, it's exciting because the rate of growth of this technology right now is um, difficult to match with innovation, right? And I mean that because... Uh, if you think about it from the standpoint of it being a room, if we were standing in a closet and we were able to fill that closet with uh, toys, just for the sake of saying, that room continues to grow. We continue to fill that with toys. Right now, the rate at which we're able to fill it with toys is not, is not meeting the, the expansion of the room. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm saying that because there are so many different technologies out there that are evolving around um, the Internet of Things, you know, um, geotags on, on containers, on trucks, on people, on uh, phones, um, those types of data sets. I, I think we're starting to understand what the potential is for those and how they can help us. I still don't think we've thought of everything. And that's great. Um, but ultimately, we have enough to keep ourselves busy for a long time uh, and continue to evolve. Ultimately, where I'd love for us to be um, is collecting the right types of data in the right places that we know, based on the amount of rainfall we're expecting, uh, the type of event we're expecting, and the geography we are expecting it, that we can go help the local governments provide evacuation orders to the right people. Mm-hmm. Right now, that is it is being done by the local governments, uh, but we have a unique situation we're in, uh, where we are convening nonprofit organizations, law enforcement organizations, fire services, ambulance services, and our own data. Um, And if we can share that in the right way and start to analyze it in the right way, we're going to be able to help uh, warn people ahead of time. Many organizations are now pursuing digital strategies. What advice would you give to to, uh, organizations who are about to undertake this sort of transformation? Take your time, uh, but hurry up. (laughs) How's that? I think uh, there's... There's a couple of pieces to that. Uh, taking your time, thinking it through, uh, understanding your business processes is essential in this case uh, to the best of your ability. Uh, we have a large organization that's driven by volunteers. Uh, as a result of that and kind of the organizational uh, evolution that we've occurred over the past 10 years, there's a lot of variance in the way programs are administered in localities. Um, standardized programs are important. Uh, so realizing and understanding what the program is that you want to administer and making sure that it's standardized makes this a lot easier. Um, ultimately, it, it takes some, some vision, um, some senior leadership buy-in, which I mentioned. I think uh, once you have those things, you can, you can start on the path. Uh, do it program by program. Uh, 
but also one of the critical foundations of this is a data strategy that, that works. And uh, building the foundation first is logical, um, and most of us don't do that. Uh, but it is, it is necessary, and that's certainly something I would do. Uh, if we had it to do over again, we'd start there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff that comes from an emergency management kind of uh, institution and, and the way we implement things is typically in a crisis – uh, because of an emergency need that we have right now. We want to know this tomorrow. Um, that's fine. Uh, and usually it means that we have to go back and fix some things later, right? We, we do some things to get us there. Uh, we do a great job of that. Uh, but we don't necessarily build the foundation first. So we have to go back and build the foundation under the house. Um, to whatever ability you have to not do that, that's helpful. Uh, it saves you some time later. And wh- if, if agencies do want to undertake this sort of uh, work, where do you think they need to be looking for their information? So how do, how do they do a, a SWOT analysis, as it were, to work out which way they should be heading? Yeah, I think, I think if you look at your systems of record, it's pretty easy to see which ones are uh, the most in need. So the ones that are limping along the slowest uh, are not a bad place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, in a lot of ways, you, you, you get some efficiencies out of that that will be extremely helpful in the short term. Uh, so I think that's sometimes that's the way to do it. Uh, if you have the luxury of having great systems, um, then taking it all in and working on it for a while and prioritizing it based on uh, whatever, whatever your organizational priorities are, that's fine too. Uh, but usually most of us aren't in that position. Uh, so I think ultimately if you, have, if you have a system you need to replace next month, that's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. This is a hugely complex topic. What question haven't I asked you? Uh, well, we could talk about capacity building. Yeah. Uh, I think that's important. Um, one of the things that we've realized over time, the, the implementation, implementation of the system started, as I mentioned, and operationally. And we had a group of folks that um, really were early adopters and wanted to uh, be at the forefront of this technology and the, the things that we do with it. So they, they undertook training. Uh, became our lead mappers and, and went out and did good. Um, we realized that we had something and that we were headed in the right direction. When the tools that we were providing were growing in the field without our direction. So we saw some real organic growth. And once we saw that, we knew we were okay. Um, the problem with that is that we we only had a handful of people that were kind of our rock stars in that mm-hmm. way, right? Um, so part of the thing that makes this sustainable is for us to continue the growth and training and capacity building to make those rock stars multiply, uh, but also to keep the rock stars involved and, and engaged. So we undertook uh, an effort called RCVU Academy, which we've rolled out two-thirds of, um, that starts out on a beginner level, mostly self-guided uh, training. Uh, folks can go on and do on their own, uh, tells them how to get into the system, how to look at a map, what the map tools look like, what they are, how to build one. Um, and that's kind of the beginning piece. The second piece is really around Red Cross specific tools. So not just what's a story map, which is one of the ways that we convey data on a daily basis, but how do you build the story map for the Red Cross for an operation? So specific to our organizational tools, that's the intermediate piece. And then for the folks that we have that are most advanced, uh, we want to keep them engaged too. So we have come up with a, an advanced tier of training. We actually sent 15 people to Esri headquarters in Redlands, California, 
to re- receive some GIS Pro uh, training and also some personal coaching. So it keeps them engaged, keeps them growing, keeps the organic growth moving forward, uh, and keeps us on the right track. So, so it sounds like that you had a well-defined change management strategy in place in order to make all this happen. I think so. Um, ultimately, there have been trials and tribulations, just like there are with anything. Um, I, again, I go back to that initial vision. Where we wanted to end up uh, really helped us understand the steps to get there. Um, but again, there, there are pockets of, of systems and pockets of activity that, that have become um, more cumbersome than others because we, we, you know, we didn't know everything when we started, but we've done well at adapting up, up to this point. And for the end user, what do you think is the greatest thing that they've experienced out of the digital transformation strategy? I think it's being able to see what's going on. Uh, Ultimately, if you weren't in uh, a disaster relief operations headquarters or you weren't in national headquarters, um, your ability to really tell the scope and scale of an operation or a disaster was extremely limited. Um, And I mean that in like a... I'm watching the news kind of limited, right? Um, so what I think the biggest benefit we've gained from this particular technology is that everybody that's a disaster worker in our organization can see the same picture now. Uh, that's huge. I mean, we've gone from 15 people to 40,000 people, uh, having the ability to understand what we're doing every day. Uh, and now we're expanding that to our partners and the public, and it's just really exciting. Brian Keenum, thank you very much for joining me on the Emergency Management Podcast. Absolutely fascinating. I hope you've enjoyed your time in Australia and I really appreciate you talking to me today. Really glad to do it. Thanks a lot. Thank you for joining us on the show this week. I'm very grateful to Esri Australia for providing the opportunity to interview Mr. Brian Keenum. Esri has some great blog posts which provide further detail on how GIS is changing the traditional approaches to emergency prevention, response and recovery. For links to these blog posts, please go to this episode on theemergencymanagementpodcast.com. I'm Stuart Walker and you've been listening to the Emergency Management Podcast. Bye for now.